Okay, so tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to be uh, talking about two different things tonight. Number one, I'm going to be talking about the uh, Greek word ekklesia. Now, we've talked about ekklesia in the past, but the, uh, it's really, it really helps us to understand the, the, really what the meaning of ekklesia is because we have, a, we have a habit that when we envision the church, we're envisioning a building. And the word ekklesia means called out ones, it means called out assembly, called out uh, congregation. Even it can mean, for example, an assembly at a town hall meeting, okay, and so forth. When any uh, congregation or any assembly or even any persons are brought together into one uh, assembly, it, it's still going to contain the word ecclesia in the New Testament we're talking about. So we're going to go through the differences there. We're going to go through some scriptures to give you that uh, importance of this word. And a little bit about the word ekklesia comes from two Greek words. The Greeks had uh, their language and what they would do, they would pin prepositions on some of their verbs. Not all of them, but ekklesia is two, two words. Ek is the uh, preposition, which means out of, and kaleo means calling. And when you put it into Ecclesia, it becomes the ones called out, or the congregation called out, or an assembly that's called out. So we have all those meetings, but the big thing is we need to not think about the church as a building. And throughout, as we go through this study tonight, the church is going to be mentioned many times. I want you to realize and envision all the people in the church, not the building itself. So if one of our friends comes up and asks us, well, where's your church? Where do they meet? And we're going to say that we meet at 301 Trail 4. That's where all of God's body of Christ meets in our community. So basically, we're not going to say we are going to meet at this building on Trail 4. It's where, that's where we meet as a congregation, as the called out ones. And uh, let me give you a couple examples. In Acts 11.26, it says that Barnabas and Saul met with the church in Antioch. Now, they didn't meet in a building. They probably didn't have a, a building back in the first century. They probably met them outside somewhere. It could have been uh, down by the river where they had little shacks built for prayer. They could have met there. They could have met under a tree outside, even in a house. But it's still the called out ones. It's not uh, the building of where they're meeting. And that's why it says that. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says he had persecuted the church of God. He didn't persecute the building. He persecuted the people, the body of Christ, the called out ones. We have to keep that in our mind as we think of the church. And uh, so a congregation of believers whom God has called out into the world or a called out assembly is the proper meaning of that. Okay, so in other, uh, in 1 Peter 2, 9, uh, we're told that God has called out the world the people out of his world, the believers, unto a wonderful light. Now, I'm going to read that whole scripture for you because it contains a few more really distinct things about the uh, believers in Christ. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So you see there's a lot more contained there. God is calling us a chosen race. I mean, Paul is, I should say, through the Holy Spirit, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we're God's own people. We're the called out ones, the ecclesia of, uh, of God. So that's basically what uh, the, those few scriptures there are saying. Now, the word in the New Testament also used to refer to an assembly of people like I just talked to you about. In his address to the Sanhedrin, Stephen called the people of Israel the assembly in the wilderness. You see, but he used the word ecclesia in the Greek. But this was an assembly of the Jewish Israel in the wilderness. So in that, you'll find that in Acts 7.38. And then in Acts 19.39, ecclesia refers to a meaning of certain citizens to discuss legal matters. So you, it, can, it can refer to other things rather than the church. But I think if we took the word ecclesia in the New Testament, I think you find out from 95 to 99% of the time it's talking about the called out ones of the uh, church of God, the body of Christ. Okay, now it's important to the church today that we do understand the meaning of ecclesia. The church needs to see itself as being the called out by God. Uh, and we know in that Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared beforehand that we must walk in or, or we must do, whichever one you choose to uh, say that. But anyways, what it's telling us is that we are those called out ones. We're God's workmanship. You see, we're not uh, in the world. John says we were in the world, but we're not of the world. We're different. Just as salt makes your, the flavor of your food taste different, that's what we need to be. We need to be the salt of the earth, the called out ones, the ones that are different, the ones that are believers. And as we go on and we talk to other people to bring them in to the, uh, into the congregations and into the fold. We just, uh, need, that's, our, that's our calling. And we need to, a few things, we need to be separated from sin. 1 Peter 1.16 tells us that. And a few more scriptures to embrace fellowship with other believers in 2.42, Acts 2.42. And uh, to be a light into the world, Matthew 5.14 tells us that. Uh, and here's what God, God says to us, or Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.17, to embrace fellowship with other believers. And he has graciously called us to himself, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. So you see, we're, we're supposed to be a special people, a called out people, a holy nation, a chosen race. All those things that Paul relates to there, uh, or Peter relates to, that's what God thinks of us because he's, he's telling us these things from the, uh, from the New Testament and by the Holy Spirit. So, okay, so if you have any questions on that, please, uh, send them to Nathan, and we'll answer them for you at the end of the uh, program. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to go into another subject, which is why is the church membership important? This is a very important thing because a lot of times, uh, you know, the, we don't have a uh, distinct verse in the Bible that says you have to have church membership, but there are a lot of verses in there that, that really lead us to, and it implies that there was a church membership, okay? The universal church, the body of Christ, Romans 12, 5, tells us that. And we're composed of all true believers in Christ. And the local churches, we're supposed to be a microcosm of the, the universal church. So as believers, we have our names written in the book of life. Just think about that. We're told that in Revelation 20, verse 12. 
Isn't that what we're looking for? I mean, our name's written in the book of life, and we're going to be in heaven someday with Jesus, and we're going to see him face to face. We'll have a lot of questions for him, I think, if, if that's the way it works when we get there. But anyways, it, it's important to church, I'm talking about called out ones, where we can give our resources, serve others, and we can be accountable there. And uh, we really need that. We need to have people that we can go to and meet with, pray with, other people that, be, that have the same mindset as we do. So as I said, the Bible doesn't directly address the concept of a formal church membership, but we're going to go through some verses where uh, it's implied and we're going to see that. And first one is Acts 2.47 where it says, And the Lord added to them day by day, as they were being saved. So we can see added to them. Who was the them? It had to be a group of other Christians that were, these people were being added to. So doesn't mention membership, but these people were meeting together. And in Acts 2.41, it seems that somebody was taking account or a tally or a numerical record of those who were saved and joined the church because it tells us that 3,000 souls were saved that day. So basically, you know, I don't think 3,000 souls went to the same congregation because they were meeting in, in many places in that uh, first century. They were meeting in the catacombs. They were meeting in houses. They were meeting uh, at these different places along the riverside, as I said before. So they had uh, probably many places where they could go. And we don't know where all these people came from. These 3,000 people probably didn't come from probably in addition to... Uh, everything else that was going on. So they probably would, would go back to where they would meet with other uh, believers or start a congregation of their own, a membership of their own. Okay, so churches today that require salvation before membership are simply following the biblical model. And uh, that's the way it is. Once you're saved, then you're, you, you join a membership if that's what you want to do. Okay, so basically that's... Uh, we have a lot of people that will do that. Some people will want to, will take a while to do that. It's just something on how everybody reacts to salvation. Okay, so there are other places in the New Testament that show the local church is a well-defined group. In Acts 6.3, this is an important one in Acts 6.3. The church in Jerusalem is told to hold elections of some kind. Now, in my Bible, in the Revised Standard, the heading of this paragraph is the first deacons. And what was happening is the, the Greek widows were not being treated the same as the Jewish widows. So here's what was happening. So they were told, choose seven men from among you. Now, <laughs> there had to be some type of membership if they knew they could choose seven men from among them. They had to be, um, maybe they didn't have a membership like we're talking about today, but they had to be among them because... Uh, the, the among you suggests a group of people distinct from those who are not among them. So we have that to, to uh, think about as we uh, listen to that and what they did. And they had to correct this problem that everybody would be treated the same. And uh, that's what they were doing. And simply put, the deacons were, were to be church members. And that's, that's how it worked then. And it's continuing to work today. Church membership is important. Here's another good thing. It helps to define the minister, helps to define his responsibilities. Hebrews 13, 17 instructs, have confidence in your leaders 
submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, here's the question. Whom will a minister give an account for except the members of his own church? You see, there has to be somebody that he's going to have under his leadership and the elders and the deacons of the church also. So he's not responsible, we know, for all the Christians in the world and only for those under his care. Likewise, he's not responsible for all the people in his community. Even though we go into that community and we try to bring them to Christ, we work with them, we talk with them. Uh, when we have an event, we deliver uh, things to them. We see them even sometimes in person. We'll go and, and deliver things that way. And we use Facebook and all the other electronic devices that we have today. But the thing is, it's not the ministers or the leadership's uh, responsibility for them to join. We can only preach the word to them, teach them, talk to them. And then it's up to them and God, God to fulfill that fruition upon them if they want to come and join a congregation or hear more about Jesus. We don't know when that message is going to hit home. So anybody we talk to, it doesn't mean that we weren't successful if they don't come like the first Sunday that we talk to them. You never know when something is going to hit home. It could take a month. It could take even a year or two years or three years since something happens that that person realizes what was being said to them. And they, they may come at that point. And it may not be even into our fellowship, but it's great if they come to somebody's fellowship. When we talk to people, we're not talking to them exclusively to come to Burlington Christian Church. We'd like them to come there, but if they have a, a place to go to other than ours and they go there, that's, that's fine. That's a great thing because that's another person that's brought into the membership of God. So membership in a local church is a way of voluntarily placing oneself under the spiritual authority of the leadership of that church, the ministers, the elders, the deacons, and so forth. Another uh, important reason is that uh, in, as we go, we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Now, as we look there, what was happening there was there was a, of something of a blatant unrepentant sin was being was taking place in their midst now i'm going to read verses 12 through 13 for you and this is what what it says there for what have i to do with judging outsiders is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge verse 13 god judges those outside drive out that wicked person from among from among you so you see our responsibility is to our the inside our people that are inside our church membership. The words inside and outside are used in reference to the church body, the body of Christ, the believers. We only judge those who are inside the church. Church mean church members. How can we know who is inside or outside the church without an official membership? You see, how could we know that? It's important that we know who is in our membership and who, uh, you know, we can help whenever they need help. You know, we're told by Paul that when somebody weeps, we should be weeping with them. And this is in our membership. And we should be uh, joy. We should have joy and be rejoicing with them when they rejoice. And that's what uh, is talked about here. The inside is talking about church membership, our group of Christians. And although there's no spiritual mandate in the, in the scriptures for official church membership, there certainly is nothing to prohibit it either. 
it seems that the early church was structured in such a way that people clearly knew if somebody was in or out of that church. We can tell by the way these scriptures read, church member is a way of identifying oneself with a local body of believers, making oneself accountable to the proper spiritual understanding and leadership. Church membership is a statement of solidarity and accountable to the proper spiritual leadership and in like-mindedness. And that's Philippians 2, 2. I want to read that for you. Uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And that's talking to all of God's people in that congregation and uh, being in one mind, talking to the Philippians there. Okay, so there's another good way of determining uh, membership is by organizational, organizational purposes. How would we know uh, how to uh, choose people for elections? You see, uh, it's, it's a good way of determining who is allowed to vote for those people. And who, in our situation, we know that every year we have ballots passed out and the congregation prints names on there that they feel could uh, enter into the eldership or the deaconship or and any other openings that we might have. So, and how, who, how would they know who is eligible if they weren't members of that congregation, you see? And church membership is not required of, of Christians, but it's very important to know the people that we're voting for, isn't it? And selecting them and voting for them in the same context. Okay, now I just want to go through a couple more things here. You know, Paul gives us an analogy of the, a group member of the membership, and so does Peter. Uh, Paul uses our own physical body as he gives us the uh, uh, the the thing or the what do we call it the the message that our fingers, our hands, and our head, our eyeballs, everything in our body is a member of our whole body. And that's what he's relating that to. That's what Paul's talking about when he uses this metaphor as the church. You see, that if one person in our congregation is suffering, we're all going to suffer with them. If they're rejoicing, we're going to rejoice with them. So Paul is using the metaphor to tell us that we are all of one body. We're all members of one body, just as our members of our physical body are one. Now, Peter compares that to a flock of sheep. He says that the elders of the church shepherd the flock, which is, he tells them to shepherd them, which are among you. No shepherd goes out and just basically finds random sheep and uh, feeds them, or worse, takes them home with them if they're someone else's sheep. Here's the amazing thing about sheep and a shepherd. Sheep will only go to the shepherd because they know who he is. They know his voice. And if someone else goes and tries to call them, they're not going to come to him, but they will follow that shepherd whose voice they know. And uh, so that's basically what we're told here too. As we're members of a congregation and we are the sheep, we're following the shepherd, Jesus Christ. He's our shepherd and that's who we're following. And we become members of congregations, of local congregations as a microcosm of the entire universal church. Okay, so the members of the body, we care for one another. Uh, we do um, a lot of things that uh, are, we do for our own body. Just for example, if we have a splinter in our foot, our hand pulls it out. And that's what we're gonna do for the members of our church. We're constantly telling them, if you have a problem, if you have a need, give us a call. 
And that, the only way to do that is by having members. Members can't call just anybody. They're going to call the elders and the deacons or the minister of the congregation so that they can then be satisfied that there's help on the way. Okay, so church membership does matter. And uh, I don't know how much more time we have, but I've got one more little page here that I want to go through, and then we can go into our question time if we have any. Okay, so the, the lesson really for us is that, you know, we have come to the realization that Jesus is the Christ. We've repented of our sins. We've been baptized into his, him and his kingdom. Our hearts are regenerated. We hunger to be with Christ and worship him as we go back on June 7th. That's going to be a magnificent, electrifying day. We don't have to be coaxed or begged or harassed or spoken to to, to come into attendance because we want to be there with an assembly, with people who are like-minded as us, with the love of God in their heart. So worshiping God in an assembly every Lord's Day is like taking your next breath. It's a normal thing. It's a natural thing. I'm going to give you a few verses in the scriptures that Jesus himself used in Matthew 26, 55. He said, every day I used to sit in the temple. And who was there? My question is, who was there? They were fellow people or members of that temple. Luke 4, 16 says that was his custom. So you see, he went to the temple. He went to the synagogue to be with members of that synagogue. Acts 2.47, we've already talked about that, adding to the number. Who are they? They're believers that are going to come and they're going to be added to the local congregations, wherever they might be. In Acts 27, 20 verse 7, it says gathered to, they would gather together to break bread, a normal occurrence. And, you know, when we talked a little earlier about Acts 2.42, we not only come together to break bread, they came together to serve the uh, doctrine of the apostles. The teaching was uh, the, the best thing that they knew. And they would have fellowship. They would uh, break bread together and they would pray together. And it, it didn't matter where they were, or where they went. In Hebrews 10, 23 through 31, we're, we are now told the temple. Jesus said, one day you will not go to the temple to worship, but the temple is inside you. So that's where what he's talking about. Now the apostles met everywhere they could with other saints uh, together. As we talked before, Houses River, they had these uh, shanties built. How many, when you were kids, you built these little shanties? And the uh, neighborhood kids, you would join memberships there of little groups, and that's what they did. They would go in these shanties, maybe two, four, six of them, and pray together. They only held a few people, not a whole congregation. Okay, so wherever men and women went, that's uh, where the lives of Christ would meet. That's where the people who loved him, they would meet and they would go there to do this in remembrance of him as he told us to do. Okay, and they would receive their offerings there and their prayers there and they would gather there. Now, there's an early book, there's a book that was written about the early church. It's called Early Christian Speak. And it shows us in the second and third centuries, Christians even met get this, at 4 o'clock in the morning, 4 a.m., and to worship together because it meant so much to them. And I think today we have people that probably do that, to get up that early in the morning to start their day with the Word of God, and it leads them through each day. And uh, that takes care of the message I've got. 